the break. Let's take a minute to meet our contestants. Contestant number one, introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Uh, hi, I'm Faith Erin Hicks. I write and draw comics for a living. I've done a bunch of web comics, Demonology 101, Ice, and The Adventures of Superhero Girl. I've had five, four or five books published? Man, I'm not even sure. Zombies Calling and The Word Ellesmere, which were published by SLG Publishing, and uh, Brain Camp and Friends with Boys, which were published by uh, First Second Books, and then my upcoming graphic novel, Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, which will also be published by First Second Books in May. And I'm also the artist and co-writer on the upcoming Last of Us prequel comic, which will be out from Dark Horse. Fantastic! <laughs> okay, Faith, spin that wheel and see what prizes you could win here on... Tell me something I don't know! We were actually worried that we had the wrong time, that we didn't make the right hourly conversion. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Okay. Yeah, we almost did this an hour from now. Like, I figured it out half an hour before we started. Well, good. I, I'm glad that, you know, we've been able to coordinate this. So, yes, I'm calling from the future. It's uh, 8 p.m. here. So, yeah, very exciting. We have flying cars and everything. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, Newfoundland actually has a time zone as well. They are, it's something like either half an hour behind Atlantic time or half an hour ahead. I don't know. It's really weird. So, so yeah, Canada. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do you play video games? I do. Um, not as much as I used to. Like When I was a teenager and in, in my early 20s, I was huge into games. Like I just, I love them as storytelling. You know, I think in terms of storytelling, gaming is very interesting. You know, whether you, you're using like a sandbox, you know, like Skyrim, for people can just go and spend like hours and hours doing whatever they want. Or it's, it's stuff like what Naughty Dog does, which is more linear and uh, more focused on the narrative. So yeah, I mean, I was huge into games much earlier. And then once comics kind of became your work and your life then it takes over everything <laughs> um, and I just I don't have the time to play games as much as I do and I, I mean I'm lucky I'm lucky if I play like two games a year like it's really sad <laughs> right now I'm playing Resident Evil 6 and I'm, I'm enjoying that quite a bit but yeah just comics man <laughs> were you reading comics when you were into gaming probably not yeah probably mostly due to access like comics are really really terrible at being in spots where people can buy them <laughs> i didn't have access to a good comic book store so yeah i mean games were a lot more accessible um but yeah like i remember i was at that time in my life i was really desperate to read comics comics are a medium that i was really attracted to but just did not have the access to it um there was one comic book store in my hometown and i was i was literally terrified of it um it was just one of those awful bad comic book stores you know dark and dank and you go in and there's like five really skeevy guys hanging out in the back and you just you know <laughs> like as a teenage girl it's like yeah I, i'm just i'm not gonna go here you know but every now and then i'd like go and buy x-men comics and stuff like that <laughs> yeah how did you discover the comics to begin with well, uh, I am Canadian, so as all good Canadian children uh, do, I grew up reading Asterix and Tintin. 
uh, <laughs> it was actually a real shock for me to like, my parents are actually American. So, you know, I'd go, uh, South to visit my extended family in the States. And I was always completely shocked that none of the kids that I met in the States read Tintin and Asterix, because that was like such a big deal for me as a kid. So yeah, those were probably my first comics. And then, yeah, there was just like this big gap because, you know, as I mentioned, the access was just a huge problem. This was before libraries really got into graphic novels. Like right now, libraries are just huge into graphic novels and it's wonderful and amazing. And But yeah, back then there wasn't, you know, the standard graphic novel format that libraries really like. So I just didn't have access to comics for many, many years. And then what really brought me into comics was online comics. In, in university and in college, I had a computer, I had the internet, I had access to um, a lot of comics through the internet. Um, and that kind of encouraged me to start making my own comics. And honestly, like I didn't become a really big consumer and reader of comics until I moved to Halifax seven years ago. And here in Halifax, they have a wonderful library system, which is huge on graphic novels. So they stock thousands and thousands of them. And they also have a really great comic store in Strange Adventures. And those two things really, you know, encouraged me to diversify my reading, to try a bunch of different things. And, you know, now I just read comics all the time, right? Like every, <laughs> I read maybe like 15 to 20 graphic novels a month. It's kind of insane. But yeah, I mean, I actually drew comics for years and years, drew online comics before I really read them. I was thinking about, you know, your style of storytelling on the way over here, because it strikes me as being, I feel like you were more influenced by video game storytelling than if you look at like the history of American comics, the main influence is film, like going all the way back to Will Eisner and, you know, certainly through like the Marvel and DC styles. So it seems like your generation is influenced by the video game storytelling, which is a little bit different. It could be. I, I never actually thought of that. I mean, I know for me, looking at older comics, um, so, you know, like Will Eisner comics, I've, I've read a bit of his stuff. And, you know, just like casually picking up some of the like collected editions of comics, you know, like superhero comics from the 50s. They're very static. And it's a lot of, you know, narrative, you know, like narrative right on the on the page and then like illustration. So it's almost more like illustrated books. And yeah, like video games, I guess the games that I played too, that I like I'm always I was always very attracted to um, games that had a strong narrative to them. And yeah, like there's more decompression in video games. Like there's just because there's more hours, right? Rather than in a movie, like with a movie, you have to tell the whole story in two hours. Whereas video games, like you have maybe 50 hours to tell a story, which is amazing. But I'd like I'd never actually drawn that conclusion. So that, that's really interesting to hear. What did you study at university? I did a bachelor's in art and English, the most useless degree ever. Oh, that sounds awful. Uh, so I did, uh, I did a double major in that and did not really know what that would lead to. And after I did that, I went to animation college and got a diploma in animation. So I did like seven years of post-secondary all in a row, which was just kind of horrible. I was so burnt out by the end of it. But I mean, you know, like I feel like both of those things, both going to college for animation and then doing the university degree in English contributes to making comics, you know, because I'm a cartoonist, but I also write and draw my own stuff. So, you know, the English degree gives me the background in writing that I need. So it doesn't sound uh, useless whenever you're using it every day. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know. I feel I feel bad for saying that. But well, you know how it is. Just it's kind of a difficult job market to sort of graduate with that degree. And I haven't used that to get a job other than working in comics. Like before I did comics, I did animation. So it was the three year college degree that uh, actually led to a proper job in a studio. Do you think the animation degree has been advantageous for the way you draw comics? I think so. 
Now I've noticed that there's actually post-secondary programs that you can take in comics. So you can actually, you know, go to school for comics, which is really cool. For my part of the world, you know, I'm from Ontario and uh, I went to animation college in Ontario. There might be a school in Toronto, but I know it didn't exist when I was going to school. So animation for me definitely gave me the kind of skills that I need to draw good comics. You know, animation forces you to do character design and layout and life drawing. So it gives you really good basics in drawing. But to be honest, like, I am very surprised that I make a living in comics. It's something that I'm slightly astonished about pretty much every day. So, uh, you know, when I was going to college for animation, I I really thought that that would lead to a job in animation. I I had no expectations about making a living in comics. It was a hobby. You know, it was a fun thing to do. I I did an online comic at the time called uh, Demonology 101, and that was kind of how I taught myself to draw. So, you know, getting into comics full time and making a living from it, that was that was not really the end goal. I just wanted to learn how to draw and, you know, hopefully get a job in an art field, which, you know, I thought animation was a good art field to get into. Did you find uh, an online community of other uh, web cartoonists? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. There were some forums and uh, some people I met through it trying to think like honestly I'm pretty shy online like I know that sounds strange uh like now it's kind of easier to be out there online like you can just have your Twitter account and you can like talk about stupid stuff on Twitter and people will find you that way but back when I was doing web comics and before social media really existed I kind of kept to myself most of the time I don't know I'm, I'm kind of forums are kind of scary <laughs> like I'm just not good in forums and I don't know I, I mostly kept to myself What is your schedule like? Oh, gosh. Uh, So many hours. Let's see. What am I working? Oh, I can't even remember. Sorry. It's been a very long day. I I work six days a week. I work pretty much 12 hours a day on those six days. I take Saturdays off. um, And those Saturdays, you know, I try and go out. I get away from the apartment. I work at home. Uh, I live in a two-bedroom apartment with my boyfriend. And I just, I sit at my drawing desk and draw all day. So yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate that so far the comic projects I have done, like I've worked primarily with First Second, um, and right now I'm doing a graphic novel series with Jay Torres for a Canadian publisher called Kids Can. And then, you know, I'm also doing The Last of Us with Dark Horse. And then, you know, I've had other small projects going on. I've been fortunate in that most of these comic projects I've done, they have nearly paid a living wage. (laughs) Not quite, but nearly. And in the meantime, I've been able to take freelance uh, in order to uh, bridge the living wage gap and, you know, actually be able to pay my rent. But yeah, I mean, my life is very boring. I, you know, I get up, I go jogging, and then I sit at my drawing desk for like 12 hours and draw constantly. And I do that six days a week, so. (laughs) Do you jog every day? I do it like five, five days a week. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I sit on my butt all day, you know, gotta go and get out of the house and exercise and that sort of thing. I don't know. I I feel like being a healthy artist is a good thing. I'm I'm not a health nut, though. I I totally hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I like going running at the end of the day because I feel like, like it relieves all the stress of like the work day. Really? Yeah. I usually run at like six or so, somewhere around there, especially in the summertime. And it's nice because that's usually when the weather kind of breaks and it's not nearly as hot. Like that's the one way I can relax is if I'm running and listening to music, like doing like a million things at once that I can actually like sort everything out from the day and like figure out, you know, like what I have to do that evening or the next day. Yeah. I always do it like in the afternoon. I get up and I just work until I'm like getting tired Mm -hmm. and then I go run. It's sort of like the recharge for the afternoon. I have a hard time with motivation. 
I think if I didn't do, if I didn't jog first thing in the morning, you know, before I started work, then I wouldn't do it. Right. <laughs> you know, like I just, I couldn't get my butt out of the chair to, to do it after in the evening or something like that. And I really like trying to come up with story ideas when I'm jogging or, you know, think about different stuff. And working on a story for the past couple of years, something long form that hopefully someday will, you know, exist. And I started jogging about a year and a half ago. And most of the plot from that story came to me while I was jogging. Yeah, it's a very good creative stimulant. I often try to work through problems or whatever, or I try to get to a stopping point where I can kind of like come back fresh and look at something that I had finished. Yeah. I, w I just wonder what it's like to actually work you know, to be a cartoonist and actually work regular, say, nine to five hours and not to work on weekends and evenings. You know, I, I've never experienced that. It seems like I've been doing this full time since 2008. And it seems like I'm either so busy, like I, I just can't keep up with it. And I have to work, you know, 12 hour days, six days a week, and then, you know, sometimes even seven days a week, or I'm just unemployed, right? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to get to the point in my career where I'm just working nine to five and, you know, I have evenings and weekends off. It seems like everybody works all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> because I feel like part of it is you're doing what you want to do. And then part of it is most freelancers have gone through the lean times. So whenever work is available, it's hard to turn it down. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm always so terrified. Like right now, I'm really, really busy. And for some reason, you know, it's the whole freelance thing of feast or famine, right? And then, you know, when you're really busy, for some reason, these other jobs just sort of come in. So yeah, it's terrifying to turn stuff down. You know, I try not to do it. But you know, every now and then it's like, oh, I have these three, three massive projects on my plate, and I just I can't. But I'm I, like, I'm always interested to hear about other people's schedules. Um, like I know, for me, I have to work daytime hours. I, like, I know a lot of different cartoonists and they work like crazy hours. They'll work until two, three in the morning and, you know, sleep all day and then, you know, work at night. But I, I just can't do that. I don't know. What have you, like, what have you guys found? Do a lot of people work really late at night or? It seems to divide up, mm -hmm. but everybody works like from the time they get up until the time they sleep. Yeah, definitely. I know. I mean, if we got paid like an hourly wage, I think we'd all make like two bucks an hour for like... <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I mean, what can I say? It is my dream job. I, I'm willing to sacrifice for it. I'm, I'm very happy and very thrilled that, you know, I can make my living doing this. So, yeah, I shouldn't complain. <laughs> well, what's your social circle like there? Uh, all nerds and all artists. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a nice group of friends here, although sadly they keep migrating out of Halifax just because it doesn't offer many opportunities for creative people. There's two animation studios here in town. Uh, my boyfriend works at one of them. And yeah, I mean, like, that's it. So, you know, animation is contract work. So if those studios don't have contracts, people migrate, basically. So I have tons of friends in Ottawa and in Toronto as well. You know, people just migrate when, when the going gets lean. You know, you, you have to go where the contracts are. Um, but I'm fortunate, you know, a few people have stuck around and we meet up usually twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays and we go drawing at local coffee shops and talk about nerdy things, <laughs> comics and video games and, uh, oh, what were we talking about before? I don't know. Very dumb, nerdy things, I'm sure. <laughs> what type of animation do they do? Uh, 
Uh, it's television animation, and so it's usually Flash, which is uh, 2D vector animation, and it usually looks like, I guess the most popular example right now would be the My Little Pony show, Friendship is Magic, but I, I don't I don't know if that's actually animated in Flash, or there's there's other vector, um, vector animation programs. Right. There's Toon Boom and Harmony, and I know those two are getting really popular as well. Or that's uh, 3D TV animation, usually for um, like preschool shows. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Did you enjoy animation when you studied it? Yeah, I, I enjoyed some elements of animation. The nice thing about animation is that you can work in that industry and you don't necessarily have to be an animator. Animation, like for me, it's the actual act of, you know, moving these characters around on screen. I was never very comfortable doing that. Um, I really preferred to do design or to do layouts. So, you know, drawing backgrounds or drawing characters. So I got the chance to do that during my brief career in animation. I graduated from college in 2004 and then uh, did animation for four years and then lost my job in animation and uh, moved into doing comics. I really enjoyed the studio atmosphere in animation. You know, you usually get a lot of very energetic, like-minded people. And, you know, most of the time, they're a lot of fun to work with. I, and I really miss that. You know, comics can be lonely. The, the, I mean, the best thing about comics is that you have control over pretty much every aspect of the story that you're creating. You know, with animation, it's like, you're just a part of it. You know, you're like a, a cog in the machine, which, you know, not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but I really like the control aspect of comics. I can do the writing, I can do the, the layout, I can do the actual drawing of the characters. And yeah, that's the thing I enjoy the most about comics. You were homeschooled, right? Yep. Do you think that being homeschooled somehow prepared you for, you know, the life of a cartoonist? Um, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I grew up, you know, without the constant influx of peers. And also my parents, uh, they decided at a very... Before I was born, I think they decided they weren't going to have a television. <laughs> so I grew up, you know, homeschooled and without a television. So I didn't have these, you know, bright, shiny things uh, distracting me all the time. So as a result, I was bored a lot. Um, and then, you know, I would make up these stories in order to entertain myself. And I, I think that's where the love of storytelling came from. So, I mean, I don't really know what makes people self-starters. You know, I, I think that I sort of lucked out in that respect. I like doing things. So, you know, when I started doing comics, it was just like, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with my old webcomic Demonology 101, but I literally started drawing that comic because I was like, oh, I feel like learning to draw. That would be fun. Even though I don't know how to do it, I think, you know, making comics, that would be fun. And that would be a good way to learn how to draw. <laughs> and then uh, all of a sudden it was five years later and I'd drawn a 700 page comic. But uh, you can see basically my progression as an artist from not start to beginning because I, the original first, I think like 70 pages of Demonology 101, I actually redrew. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't really know where that sort of self-starting thing comes from. I don't know if that's homeschooling or if it's that, or if that's, you know, an actual personality thing, but I don't know. I just like going out and doing things. It's interesting you mentioned boredom. I've been hearing more people talk about, you know, like boredom being a good thing for a kid. Yeah. And I, it's kind of lamenting that they don't have that boredom anymore. Like, there's always something to entertain them, no matter where they are. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I'm not a parent. You know, I can't really, you know, stand up and say, this is what kids should be doing. Um, yeah, I can only speak from personal experience. And I mean, I thought the few times that I got to watch television as a kid, going over to friends' houses or whatever, I thought it was the most magical thing 
why anyone would ever do anything but sit in front of the television all day, every day. And sure, you know, if you're a kid and you have unlimited access to television, why would you do anything else? <laughs> like, television is the greatest invention since sliced bread, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think just from a personal standpoint that boredom is a good idea, you know, for kids. It's something that maybe forces maybe forces kids to be creative and forces them to experiment, I mean, in a good way, you know, experiment with storytelling, I guess. <laughs> and maybe, you know, venture into creative fields they wouldn't normally try. Well, were you making art before you started doing comics? Kind of, not, not really in a serious way. Like, I was actually more of a writer than an artist. Um, drawing is something that is very challenging for me, and I don't feel like I'm naturally good at it. It kind of drives me crazy on the internet where um, you meet these artists and they're 21 years old and they are the most amazing artists I, you know, I've just ever seen. And I really didn't have that right at the beginning. Um, it took many, many years of struggling and making thousands and thousands of pages of comics to produce something that, you know, that was good, that was, you know, somewhat professional looking. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that is the universal experience of all artists. Uh, it was my experience. I really, really struggled with drawing for years and years. But writing is something that I, for some reason, have always felt very comfortable with, you know, just very drawn to naturally. So as a kid, I remember I would just, you know, longhand because uh, I, I mean, I didn't have a computer until uh post-secondary. I didn't have one in, uh, in high school. Um, so just longhand, I would sit and, you know, write all these stories, mostly about girls and horses, because I was really into horses. <laughs> but yeah, that was basically my art at the time. Like, I was just really into writing and drawing. Drawing came much, much later. Yeah. Drawing is hard, man. Like, uh, it's so hard. <laughs> what kind of stuff were you reading in your high school years? If you weren't reading a lot of comics and you were, you know, into writing, were you reading a lot? I tried to, I was a real snob, I guess, in high school. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would always try and read like, you know, the hard science fiction stuff. So I was really into Asimov and Clark. And I had a lot more fun with reading when I was a kid. Like I was more, I would just kind of read everything from like the Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley Twins or whatever um, to, you know, Lloyd Alexander and Diana Wynne-Jones. I really wish, like, you know, they've made, like, this whole YA genre thing right now. You know, that, that's a big hot thing right now in the book industry. I really wish that had existed when I was a teenager. I think I would have loved those books at that age. But, yeah, I just, I kind of read everything I could get my paws on. Reading was my entertainment because, you know, I didn't have a television. Um, so, you know, got to pass the time somehow. Do you think of yourself as a young adult author? I guess. <laughs> I mean, honestly, all the books, all the books by which I mean comics, all the comics I've made, I've just made because those are, for whatever reason, the genre and the type of characters that I like writing about. And for some reason, I think they all kind of probably trace back to maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know. <laughs> that was a big influence on me. And maybe the X-Files as well. So they probably all come from that place. And, you know, that show, I think, was very much aimed, maybe not aimed at teenagers initially, but it became the show that it became because of teenagers. I tend to think that, you know, being labeled a YA or middle grade or, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind of label people put on you, I, you know, I tend to think that's more of a marketing thing than anything. I just make comics that I would personally enjoy reading. Whenever people ask you what you do, how do you introduce yourself Oh, I just say I write and draw comic books. 
And most of the time they know what that is, which is really cool. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes they'll say things like, oh, like Spider-Man. And I'm like, well, not, not really like Spider-Man, you know, more like, you know, it's in the form of a book and, you know, it's got, just got one story rather than a piece of a story that has been going on for, I don't know, 50 years or whatever. I always say comic books because sometimes if I say graphic novels, um, I've had some people think that that is a novel. So a prose book, uh, with lots of sex and violence in it. (laughs) (laughs) Graphic novel, right? (laughs) But yeah. I mean, if I say I write and draw comic books, it's, I don't know, people usually tend to know what that is, so that's cool. Have you ever read any of the early Spider-Mans? Like the Ditko and Stan Lee one? Yeah, because as you're describing, like, you know, young adult genre, those early Spider-Mans would fit right into that genre. Because he really? really is like this high school kid that has like these high school kid problems. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that's why that character endures so much, because he's just, he's so relatable, or he used to be. Now he's like, what are they doing to him? I, I think I read something the other day. They're turning him like super dark or something like that. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess that ha- already happened in the 90s with the Venom and Carnage and yeah, all I that. Thought, I thought Tobey Maguire already did that. I thought he, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. I thought he danced around in a jazz club. And no, I thought they already took care of that business. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never read those books. They must be collected, though, right? Yeah, they're all over the place. Have you been approached by um, Marvel or DC to do any of their page rate work for hire kind of stuff? Not by DC. I was asked by them to pitch a couple times. And I guess both those times, the stuff that I pitched them either wasn't what they were looking for or whatever. Like, um, I I, I mean, I don't know. I've I've yet to receive a rejection from DC. It's just, you know, they asked me to pitch stuff and then I just never hear back from them. So I guess that's a rejection. I don't know. I think those offices are fairly chaotic the last few years. Yeah, slightly, right? Like rebooting their entire line and everything. That That is a little crazy. I mean, I don't know. I don't mind. You know, if they come calling, I'm happy to spend a little time and, you know, do a pitch. But um, Marvel, I did the Girl Comics anthology for them, which was a lot of fun. And oh, before that, I don't know if you guys read my Wolverine story. <laughs> I did a story about Wolverine going grocery shopping. It's on the internet. You can find it. All you have to do is Google Wolverine goes grocery shopping and you will find it. And it's this 11 page story about Wolverine going grocery shopping. I got contacted by Marvel in 2010 or something like that. And uh, CB Sibolsky, he was originally their talent scout guy. And, you know, he sent me this email saying, oh, you know, I really enjoyed the Ward Ellesmere and Zombies Calling. Would you like to pitch us an Iron Man or Wolverine story? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> really weird i mean you know like the two books that i had published by slg like one is a book about 13 year old girls at boarding school and the other is a zombie book and uh, i don't know of all the things to attract the eye of marvel i did not expect that that would be it zombies are pretty popular these days yeah yeah i hear that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean i got this email from them and they were like hey would you pitch us an 11 page iron man or wolverine story and i'm like okay i am a patriotic canadian i will pitch you a wolverine story so I did this Wolverine story about Wolverine, and he's asleep in his room in the X-Mansion, and uh, he wakes up and he discovers that the ex-teenagers, I think it was like Doug Ramsey and, uh, uh, what's the, ca- oh, Sam, the cannonball kid, Sam, and then... Uh, Sam Paige- Guthrie? Yeah, Sam Guthrie. And then Paige, uh, she's, she was like the half-demon kid or something like that. Anyway, these ex-teenagers have eaten his special Canadian eggs, 
despite the fact that his name was on the carton and they were not to eat his eggs. So he has to go down to the grocery store that sells the special Canadian eggs in order to buy new eggs. And so he drives down to the grocery store and he discovers that there are ninjas there. So then he has to fight the ninjas. Uh, Needless to say, Marvel did not go for it. (laughs) I did not get to finish my uh, Wolverine Ghost grocery shopping story, but you could read it online in thumbnail form if you're interested. But yeah, anyway, that led to doing girl comics. And I don't know, like I've had some few contacts with them since, and maybe I'll do something for them in the future. You know, working for Marvel or DC has not really been a personal goal of mine. I, I think it would be awesome. But I would personally rather do creator-owned stuff. I'd rather work with for a second. I'd rather that be my main legacy. I'm curious, do you have some dream job or, you know, like, where would you like to be, say, in five years? I guess where I am now, I really like working with book publishers. You know, I like the graphic novel format, you know, where you just, you get one contained story within a book. I'm not a huge fan of the 22-page format, uh, the new project that I'm working with Dark Horse for, the Last of Us comic. That will be four issues, 22 pages each. So that's the new challenge that I'm doing. But at the same time, the Last of Us is one contained story. So it's not like an ongoing series, uh, you know, like Spider-Man or Superman or whatever. That actually kind of drives me crazy. I, I don't really like the serialized storytelling where you have knowledge of 30 years of backstory in order for, you know, a comic to make sense. I, I find that kind of exhausting. But I mean, you know, if Marvel came up to me and was like, what would you like to do, Faith Aaron Hicks? Uh, you know, by all means, let us give you a million dollars and you may do whatever you want. I would probably want to do like a, a graphic novel about, say, like Marrow or something, you know, like just the stupidest, most random character. You know, I, I mean, working full time in superhero comics, that again, that that was not really my goal in comics. I, I really like doing the creator's own stuff. I like um, I like creating my own characters. I like creating my own stories. And I don't know, in five years, I would like to be doing more of this, you know, more of my own stories, just maybe not working so many hours, (laughs) maybe evenings and weekends off and, you know, maybe more money. That would be cool. Have you thought about the possibility of having your work adapted into animation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love for that to happen, actually. You know, I trained in animation. I'm still very, very fond of it. Um, There's so many good animated shows on right now. Like Gravity Falls is amazing. I love that show. Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc. I I know, so weird, but that is an amazing show. Um, Adventure Time is good. Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender. Those are amazing shows. Um, I I would love the chance to see see something of mine, you know, animated in in a quality way. Like that would just be a huge thrill. I would love, I would love the chance to do that. So yes, if any, any animation producers out there listening, please, by all means, call me. (laughs) You said you started this full time around 2008? Yes. What led to that? And like, can you talk kind of about, you know, your professional progress? It is a very dumb story. (laughs) Basically, I did not intend to go into comics full time. 2008, I was working in animation for a studio here in Halifax. And in 2008, obviously, as it did for many people, the economy just you know, folded and the majority of the work in animation that is done in Canada is for American studios. So American studios cut back on the animation they were producing. And then there was a tax credit here in Halifax that was basically tax incentives were removed. So, you know, productions were halted. So basically the the animation industry in Halifax in 2008 crashed and burned. So I lost my job and I thought, 
okay, well, I'm going to get another job in animation. And so I went out and I applied and all these different places and there was no work to be found. You know, I was, I was looking in Toronto and Vancouver and all these other places and just nobody was hiring in 2008. And I had just gotten a job drawing a book for first second called Brain Camp, which is this kid's horror book. Um, it's similar to like Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark? That kind of book. Uh, it's very gross if you're like a 10 to 12 year old child who likes, you know, gross things, then, you know, this book will be right down your alley. Anyway, so I had this job drawing this book and for a second was going to pay me like, you know, X amount of dollars. So I basically said to myself, okay, there's no work in animation. I'm going to draw this book for six months because that was the amount of money that for a second was paying me. They were paying me enough money to live for about six months. You know, then I'm going to either hopefully find another job in animation or I'm going to pack everything up and drive back home to my parents' place in Ontario, put everything in storage. And who knows? You know, I had no idea what I was going to do. So you had done the two SLG books at that point? Yes. Um, I drew those two SLG books while I was working in animation. Um, so I had my full-time job in animation, and then I would basically, after doing animation from you know 9 to 6 every day, I would go home and draw from like 7 to 11 every night and then work on it on the weekends, which was very exhausting, and those were not good days. <laughs> Is that how First Second learned about you, or did you submit something to them? They don't actually remember. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've asked them that, you know, I've asked them how they found me because basically they just emailed me out of the blue and said, you know, oh, we have this script, you know, we're looking for an artist for it. Would you be willing to do a test on it? So I, I went and drew like three pages of this brain camp script and the writers of the script picked me for the job, which I'm extremely grateful to them for. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I know by the time I started working with First Second, the word Ellesmere had not been published yet. So I think I was still finishing that up before I started drawing Brain Camp for First Second. But yeah, I mean, I had this pitch for Minx. And I'd met Shelley Bond at a comic book convention in 2007. And she'd asked me to pitch for the line. So I made up this pitch for her and uh, gave it to her. And then I guess the line was dissolved. I actually never heard back from her on you know, whether or not the pitch was something that Minx would have actually published. Um, but I had this pitch on hand. And I, when I got the brain camp job for a second, was like, okay, now that you have this job with us, you need to get an agent because you know an agent will like read your contracts and make sure you're not getting screwed over and that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, cool. So you know, who would you recommend? And for a second, was like, this lady over here. And I was like, okay, I will take that lady. Um, and she was fine with working with me as well. So it all worked out in the end. But my agent was asking me if I had any other pitches to pitch to first second beyond brain camp. And I was like, oh yeah, well, I have this Minx pitch. It's called Friends with Boys and I just have it right here. So we pitched that to first second and they bought it actually before I'd finished drawing brain camp. So I just sort of figured, okay, I have this second book with first second and I'm getting paid a little more money for that. And I will just keep doing this making comics thing until the money runs out. And that was four years ago. <laughs> So I never actually deliberately made the choice to go into comics full time. It just kind of happened. Do you work digitally? No, no. Everything's traditional. Um, I do digital coloring and uh, like I'll, I'll do corrections digitally. But uh, no, everything's traditional. It's all ink. It's all pencil. I, I like the way ink looks. I feel like maybe whatever is unique about my work, I feel like the ink contributes to that. So um, I'm going to stick with the traditional for as long as I possibly can. Do you sell your originals? 
Sometimes I haven't really sold much of my creator-owned books. Like if I do, say, like I did a short piece for Boom uh, for their Adventure Time spinoff comic, Marceline and the Scream Queens. So the pages from that I'm happy to sell because, you know, it was a a work-for-hire thing and just like a short gig. And then, oh, I did a Marvel thing girl comics where it was this anthology and you know a bunch of female creators did their own takes on x-men or whatever um so i've been selling those pages as well but yeah when it comes to my creator and books like friends with boys and uh, my new one from for a second nothing can possibly go wrong and then my old slg stuff it's sort of like i guess if someone offered me something or you know really really wanted it or something like that i would probably i might say yes but at this point it's like no these are mine i don't want to sell them <laughs> Yeah, I was curious if that was part of, you know, like your revenue stream or not. It seems like a lot of cartoonists, I know that, you know, that would probably be a percentage of their income. Oh, like I sell, you know, I did this webcomic, The Adventures of Superhero Girl, which unfortunately is on hiatus because I'm just, I'm very employed right now, which is great, but it doesn't leave me any time to do webcomics. So I'll sell the originals of those for pretty cheap. I don't know why I'm not as attached to those as, say, pages from Friends with Boys, but for some reason I just am. I guess I, I sort of had like this nervous thing of, oh God, what if I need the originals at some point? Yes, I have digital copies, but you know, something horrible could happen. You know, the apartment building could burn down or whatever. And then I'd lose all my digital copies and also my traditional copies because the actual pages are in the apartment. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that didn't seem like a good solution. <laughs> yeah, that's bad all around. Yeah, yeah, just bad all around. Yeah, I... And part of the thing is, too, like, I'm really bad about shipping stuff out. So if someone contacts me about a page or something like that, I'm really, really terrible about replying to them and actually physically getting them the page. So at this point, most of the original art I sell is just, like, sketches at conventions and stuff like that. And I've just sort of noticed that most of the original art that people want to buy is uh, licensed stuff, you know, like pages from Batman or whatever. And I don't really see much of a demand for pages from Friends with Boys. I don't know. Yeah, at this point, I'm just sort of like, I'll just keep these pages in my closet. <laughs> I would guess that's not a bad decision. I, I know a lot of um, people that keep their creator-owned work and, you know, they don't sell that. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. I mean, do you sell your originals, Jim? Yes. Oh, wow. So, like, Street Angel and everything? Sadly, I have sold Street Angel pages, and I kind of regret that I sold them. But, you know, like, I sell a lot of original art, and um, it does make up a significant part of my income, and I feel like you build that like you build any aspect of your business. And so I feel like that's something that's been building for a while, and, you know, people that bought Street Angel have bought work from me, like, over the last eight years or something ever since then. Mm. So for you, like, do you actually personally sell the pages, or do you sell them through, what is it? I, I mean, I don't even know the name for these comic sites where people will have their pages for sale. Is that a dealer or something like that? Or Yeah, it's like a dealer or an agent. You know, like, I sell most of mine myself. And mm-hmm. then this past summer, I had an art show in L.A., and so that gallery sold the work from that show. But that's not exactly comic book work. This sounds kind of high stakes, although it's totally not. I guess I haven't been forced into a situation where I need to sell. So at this point, you know, I do have the luxury of of keeping the artwork in my art closet. I mean, it is a little ridiculous, you know, like... I was very, very possessive of uh, the pages from my first two books that I did, uh, Zombies Calling and The War at Ellesmere. And then, you know, they just sit in the closet and, I, you know, every now and then I'll look at them and I'll be like, oh, I wish I did not have these sitting in my closet because my closet is full of art because I can't bring myself to sell it. <laughs> Do you collect other people's art? 
No, not really. Occasionally I will get a commission or prints and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I rent an apartment and it's a fairly small apartment. So honestly, <laughs> that mostly has to do with space than anything. Of course, someday I, I dream of having a house and, you know, having lovely framed artwork and a library and that sort of thing. But at this point, I, I just haven't reached the point in my life where I guess I can have nice framed things hung on the wall. <laughs> I have this beautiful uh, Jamie Hernandez print of Maggie and Ray from, you know, his Love and Rockets series. And it's this lovely thing that I bought from Strange Adventures and it's huge. And, you know, I, I've had it for two years and I have yet to actually frame it and hang it on the wall. It's just kind of like sitting on top of my bookshelf because <laughs> I just can't bring myself to spend like the, I don't know, hundred dollars or whatever it is to get a proper frame for this thing and <laughs> actually put, you know, put nails on the wall and hang it. Uh, I'm so terrible. <laughs> Well, how much, um, you, you talk about living in a smallish apartment. Do you have a huge book collection? Oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> it's getting to the point where we have no more space in the apartment for bookshelves. And I have like maybe half a shelf left that's not full. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen when that shelf becomes full, because all the books that I own are books that I want, right? I don't tend to keep books that maybe I read once and I'm like, eh, whatever, that was fine. I'm just going to discard this. So I don't really know what's going to happen. But yeah, I I have kind of a storage problem with the books. <laughs> you should keep me posted on what happens after you fill up that half shelf. Oh, really? Are you, are you coming towards that point in your life as well? Where you, I've you actually, I went through like, I don't know, five or six years ago and I yeah. sold like half of my collection. Really? Oh man, I can't imagine that. I've been buying them back ever since. Oh no! Plus new stuff. And so now I'm like, I'm kind of out of shelf space as well. Oh no. I've been kind of fortunate in that, like before I came to Halifax, I moved a lot. And you know, when you move a lot, you tend to discard stuff, right? So, you know, when I moved here like seven years ago, I didn't have much. And then I wasn't really a big purchaser of comics until I got to Halifax as well. So I brought with me nine graphic novels and it was the bone books. Do you oh. prefer the color or the black and white bones? Oh, I can't decide. You know, they're both great. I do like the larger size of the black and white editions. Like, they're comic book size, I think, right? I'm not sure exactly. But they're larger than the color editions. So, you know, that's nice. Like, you know, the larger size, you get to see Jeff Smith's artwork a little better. But I, I mean, I like the coloring for the Scholastic editions. I think they look really nice. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm very grateful for basically <laughs> that book breaking open the market. So, you know, I'm not going to be a snob about it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I moved to Halifax with nine graphic novels. And then when I moved into this apartment two years ago, I had 15 boxes full of graphic novels. And then I've collected even more since I lived in this apartment. So I don't know. I'm not looking forward to the next move. <laughs> Do you feel like you're able to, uh, you know, judge your work with a critical eye? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I do think that's key, right? Like, you know, as a creator, you have to be open to criticism. You have to listen to people. You know, I like working with editors. Um, I've always worked with editors at SLG, at First Second, now at Dark Horse. And, you know, I, I try my best to listen to them and, you know, to take their criticism and apply it to my work. And, you know, I feel like being self-aware and listening, you know, surrounding yourself with people and working with people who will call you on it if you're making a creative mistake. I feel like that's the best way to, I guess, stay sharp as an artist and to, to produce good work. Do a lot of people seek you out for advice, like aspiring cartoonists? 
Sometimes, yeah. I mean, mostly through the internet. Um, I'm actually really bad at responding to email. I'm just so busy right now. Most of the time, if I'm going to respond to someone, uh, it would have to be through Twitter or through Tumblr. Um, so, you know, I, I do try my best to answer some questions that I get. I mean, you know, when I give someone advice, the only advice I can give is from a personal perspective, you know, so the constant question I get, and, you know, I'm sure every cartoonist who either makes a living or has had work published is the question of how do I break into comics? And, you know, I'm always struggling to kind of give an appropriate answer to that because, you know, I, I mean, my experience was I made a bunch of comics, you know, I put them online and basically the right people noticed um, and then I was able to improve on that work and just kept working. You know, so I, you know, I, I try and offer that advice when I can. Uh, sometimes, uh, very, I, very reasonably, I, I feel sometimes people will get frustrated with with that answer because it's not a very helpful answer. You know, <laughs> just saying to someone, well, you know, go make comics, go, you know, put them online. The right people will notice. But it's not, you know, it's not a situation where you're in control. You know, perhaps if I had gotten into comics through more conventional means, like maybe going to conventions or doing portfolio reviews, like I've never done a portfolio review in my life, that would probably be more constructive advice to give or, you know, a better suggestion. But that's, you know, that's just not my experience. But yeah, I mean, I, I try my best to be helpful. Right now, I'm just so busy that, you know, if anyone's emailing me long questionnaires and stuff like that, I, I just don't have the time to answer. But I don't know. I try and be helpful in the Twitters. It's the best that I can do. Yeah, I like your answer is very zen-like. When somebody asks you how to make comics, your answer is, you make them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go make I, the comics. Yeah, I do find it odd. I mean, I mean, I guess this is also where the self-starting thing comes from. But I find it odd when people desperately want to be in comics, but they haven't made comics. And, you know, occasionally I run into that. Like, not as often anymore because the internet is there. You know, it's this wonderful tool for people to use to, to put your name out there, to gain an audience. Um, but occasionally I do run into people who uh, they really want to make comics, but they only want to make published comics. And for them, publishing, you know, is the physical copy and that sort of thing by a name publisher. So, you know, whatever, Dark Horse for a second, whoever, right, SLG. And, you know, sometimes I, I just sort of want to say to them, you know, just go and make comics. That's that's how you make comics. You, you put a page online and there you go. You've made comics. <laughs> but, yeah, I, that's probably not a very helpful thing to say. And I, I feel really bad. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be dismissive of people. I, I completely understand the frustration people have with quote unquote breaking into the industry. It is very, very frustrating and it's a constant struggle. I feel like I'm still breaking in. I feel like, you know, I'm still trying to be employed and, you know, trying to get my name out there and trying to get good work made. So Sorry. you kind of, you kind of don't want to tell them all of your secrets. Oh no, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> no, I, I am. I am to share but I, I just don't feel like my secrets are very helpful you know because I just made comics and you know I think you're absolutely right I, I'm in total agreement I used to tell people you know if especially if they haven't made like a mini comic or whatever it's like you know step one is go make a mini comic yeah, yeah go make a comic you know I mean that's the best thing about comics one person can do everything it's it's fantastic I absolutely love it I have you know, such control in this medium, I can, I can really do whatever I want. I mean, I feel bad for people who maybe don't draw, but, you know, again, I say, hey, look at, you know, Ryan North doing dinosaur comics, right? Like he uses the same clip art every single day, or uh, the guy that does XKCD, and he just does stick, you know, stick figures, and you can do amazing things with limited artwork on the internet. Just go and make comics. 
go forth, my children, and make comics. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I think we're getting close to the end. Is there anything that, that we've forgotten that you'd like to talk about? Well, I guess I wanted to mention that my next first second graphic novel, which will be published by First Second in May, is called Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, and it is actually being serialized online right now. So if you're interested in reading it, you can read it for free at nothingcanpossiblygowrong.com. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to promote right now, I guess. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Is there anywhere else people should look for your work? Um, yeah, I have a Tumblr. I think it's just Faith Aaron Hicks com. I just have my regular website, faithaironhicks.com. I'm Faith Aaron Hicks on Twitter as well. Yeah, so if you're into the social medias, I am all there. Yeah, I think just nothing can possibly go wrong.com. That's where you can find my current work. So that comic is, is updating with a page every weekday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm pretty available online. <laughs> Working at home, you know, just putting in all these long hours. I Twitter is where I go to complain and <laughs> to, to see people, I guess. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here trapped at home with the cat and everything like that and surrounded by thousands of pages of comics. So it's nice to get a break from that and go online and actually see, see my coworkers, see my fellow comic makers. I feel like every cartoonist I know also has a cat. That's oh, yeah. That's thing that's in common. Do you have a cat? Do you guys? Both yes. of you? Yes. We both have multiple cats. Multiple cats. Yeah, I only have the one. My boyfriend is allergic, so I only get the one cat. <laughs> I would have 90 cats if I could, but nope, only get the one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we should let you get back to the drawing board. Are you going to draw some more when we hang up? No, I'm actually, I'm done for the day. It's, oh, good for you. Yeah, I managed to finish a little bit early, so that's good. So I'm going to like maybe sit and stare at a wall for the next half hour and then go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um, well, good talking to you and, and yeah, let's stay in touch. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and letting me ramble on at various lengths. And yeah, I hope it wasn't too boring. <laughs> oh, it's great. Thanks. All right. Bye. bye. Take it easy. Bye. And you can follow us on Twitter at Jim Rugg, at Jason Lex, and our producer at Ed Pisker. Destroying him, my